take your Bibles again this morning and turn to the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark chapter 3. You see here the story of how Jesus preaches to the multitude on the shore. And as we look at this week's text of scripture, a startling question came to my mind. Maybe it's something you've thought about, you'll find out in just a moment whether or not you have. But I wonder, have we lost our sense of excitement in following Jesus? Are we still as excited today as when we got saved? As when we saw God answered prayer? As we were five years ago? As we were maybe six months ago? Or have we lost our sense of awe in who God is and what God has done for us? If you would, follow along as I begin reading Mark chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. Says Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed from Galilee, and a large crowd followed from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. The large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Lord Jesus, I ask God that you would speak to our hearts this morning. And Lord, help us be honest about our walk with you. God, I pray that you'd impress upon our, our hearts and our minds and our, uh, Lord, just daily, the opportunities that we have to follow you. And Lord, our excitement, Lord, how it should not wane, but ever grow because of what you've done for us. Lord, would you speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder, have we lost our sense of awe in following Jesus? Uh, I noticed something about the crowds that to me at least was very interesting from Mark chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. They literally came from every direction. I mean, literally from every direction. From the north in the areas of Galilee and Capernaum. From the south in Emea, Judea, near the Dead Sea and from the capital city. From the west, from the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea and from the east, from beyond Jordan. They literally came from every direction. I wonder, this is the thought that came to my mind this week. If Jesus were in Buffalo, in Albany, in Toronto, in Washington, D.C., well, I wonder if he'd be there, in Charlotte, Boston, Columbus, would we want to go follow him there? Or would we be too busy? Too tired, too unbelieving, too unconcerned to make the trip? Or would we do everything we could to go see him because this is Jesus we're talking about? This is not some famous you know, athlete. This is not some famous uh, artist. This is Jesus we're talking about. The one who died on the cross, the one who changed our entire life as a believer, as a child of God. Would we even be interested in going to see him? if we knew that he was in the area or across the Midwest or on the other side of the United States or across the border. They literally came to him 
from every direction. And we see this from almost every passage we looked at so far, that Jesus was busy serving the people and ministering to the people and healing the people. And there were times that he just wanted to get away and just rest. And, and it's amazing, as you look at all the commentaries on this whole passage of Scripture, the one thing that jumps out in almost every commentary I read was, Jesus went and rested. We need to have a day of rest. Fine, have a day of rest. But what about our following Jesus? What about making that real and an active part of our life as a child of God? And I'm not just talking about claiming the name of Jesus. I'm talking about living for Him. And drawing close to Him. And meeting Jesus where He is rather than expecting Him to always meet us where we're at. Now I'm thankful that He does that. He doesn't expect perfection before we can follow Him. He does meet us. But what about our commitment to following Him and meeting Him where He's at? Notice the excitement of the crowd, and we see this right away. A large crowd, verse 7, followed Him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, around Tyre's side. The large crowd came to Him because they heard about everything He was doing. They heard about everything He was doing. How did they hear? Think about that just for a moment. This ought to be startling to us. They didn't have satellites. They didn't have CNN. There was no major news networks. How did they hear? I mean, there was no newspapers going across the land saying, you know, the Star Trip's got to get this out. The Democratic Congress has got to get it out. There, there was none of that. There wasn't the Pony Express. No horses running across the mainland. No ships carrying all this... Think about this. How did they get the word out? I think it's still the effective way the word can get out today. Life touching life. A life that has been impacted by the love of Christ, impacting another life with the love of Christ, right? Is that true? That's the best way it's going to happen. You know, all the technology that we have, and don't get me wrong, it's a wonderful thing. It allows people to grow and to learn and to draw close. But it cannot replace your life touching another life. It can't. And the crowds had heard because people were talking. Let me tell you what Jesus did. Did you, let me, did you hear what Jesus did in town last week? Let, let me tell you about it. Life impacted by Jesus Christ, touching another life, impacting them with the love of Jesus Christ. That's the best way, still today. So it was not just the crowd who were hearing the stories. It was also the crowd that needed Jesus to do something, we see in verse 9. It says, Then he told the disciples to, to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Why? Well, verse 10, since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing towards him to touch him. I mean, they just, I mean, think about that whole concept right there. They wanted Jesus to do something. They needed Jesus to do something. And they thought if they could just get to him to touch him. Isn't that amazing? Let me ask you a question. Do you still have faith in Jesus? I'm not talking about saving faith. All of us understand, I think, if we've grown up in church at, at all, is that 
We need to have saving faith that Jesus Christ alone paid the price for our sins on the cross, right? There's nothing we can do to fix that. It's a simple understanding what he's already done for us on the cross. We just simply trust him and commit our lives to him. But I wonder about our everyday faith. Can Jesus fill in the blank? Will Jesus fill in the blank? I'm reminded. In fact, turn your Bibles just for a moment to Hebrews chapter 11. This is just a good reminder for all of us. I want to read a couple of verses here. It says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. It's not necessarily what you can see, but you see the results of it. You see what is happening. You see what can take place. The result of what is happening. And this is verse 2. says, For by it our ancestors won God's approval. Wait a minute. God approved of man's faith. Isn't that amazing? But God says, I approve of this. Man won God's approval because they trusted him. And verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Faith. And then it goes down to verse 6. Now without faith it is what? impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him I have to wonder just for a moment the large crowds were following Jesus some of them had diseases they had heard that Jesus could heal those diseases and they were coming to follow him if by chance they could just touch him you think they believed Jesus could do something I'm not talking about the motives here I don't know what man's motives are. I think they're probably pretty selfish if you've got a disease and you want someone to fix it. But here's the point. They believed that Jesus could do something about their sickness. They have faith in him. And they just thought, maybe if I could just get close enough to touch him. And Jesus says, just in case they're pushing me back because they're coming at me, have a boat so I can use it as a platform to continue preaching. He healed many of them. Look at verse 10. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing towards him to touch him. And it's an interesting thing here. Just to think about the very time involved in reaching these people who had needs. I really do believe that time is one of our most precious commodities. Anybody agree? How many wish you had more hours in a day some days? More hours in a week? A few more days in the month? Time is one of the most precious commodities we have. And I don't know about you, but as I've said often, it's never convenient to help someone else when you have things to do yourself. It's not convenient. Is there ever a convenient time to help somebody with a flat tire when you've got a to-do list to do? No. Is it ever convenient to go help someone else at their house when you have things in your own house that need to be done? No. It's not. There's never a convenient time. Time is the most precious commodity that most of us have. And yet, here's the thing. 
in the passage here in Mark chapter 3, verse 10, where it says he healed many of them, it's really a Semitic idiom meaning all. He healed all of them that came after him. And think about the very time. So, well, how do I know that? Well, the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 12 that talks about the very exact same instance says Jesus was aware of this and withdrew withdrew large crowds followed him and he healed them all so the idea here is that Jesus took time now you say well Jesus is Jesus all he did is like boom 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 done healed let's go I can't imagine it taking place just like that and maybe you can't either but when you think of the concept of large crowds who had gathered from every direction the north the south the east the west who had followed him down to the shores. I have to imagine there was a pile of people there. I don't know. Hundreds? Thousands? I can only imagine. But I know this. Jesus took the time necessary to heal those that came to him. I can't imagine the time involved. Let me just draw this parallel if I could just for a moment. What of our most precious commodity, our time, are we given to Jesus? Let that sink in just for a moment. I'm not talking about showing up to church. I'm glad you're here. It's favorite day of the week. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spending time in prayer. I'm talking about reading his word. I'm talking about service for the Lord, ministry, to his church. What part of our most precious commodity does God get? Think about it. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. So I was afraid of that. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 12. Notice the reaction of the unclean spirits. says, actually verse 11, when they, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! You know, the people knew who he was. The unclean spirits knew who he was. And verse 12 says, He would strongly warn them not to make him known. Well, why would he do that? He strongly rebukes them, warns them not to make him known. Well, Jesus didn't want the people to look at him as a political leader or a military leader of some sort. You might think that he was there to overtake Rome's rule, but rather the Messiah predicted of the Old Testament. He was there to serve. He was there to be a spiritual leader, not a political, not a military leader. I wonder. I say, well, that's just a very simple lesson. Yeah, it really is. It just is a very simple, simple lesson a story a true story and it really just highlights a simple day in the life of Jesus so what lesson can we learn from this text of scripture what question can we ask ask ourselves about the story well, how can we apply this to our hearts and our lives well here's a question are you are we every one of us in this room who knows Jesus Christ is our Savior 
Are we as excited today about following Jesus as we were the day we put our faith and trust in him? Are we? Have we forgot the sense and the awe of wonder of who God is? Can you remember a time that you were more excited about Jesus than you are today? What happened? Do you remember a time when you were just, man, I couldn't wait to get to hear God's word and, and spend time with him in prayer and reading and seeing what God would teach you? And today you're just like, well, you know, if I got time, I'll read. If I don't, I won't. No big deal. These people followed Jesus. Are you still excited? If not, why? I think there's lots of reasons that we could, that we could put in there, and I'm just going to name a few. 1 John chapter 2, I think, sometimes nails it for a lot of us. 1 John chapter 2, familiar passage. Verse 15 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Remember Demas? Demas hath forsaken me, having what? Loved this present world. Is it possible that maybe we've gotten our love off of God and under the things around us? Is that a possibility in our life? I think it is all far too often. Come to that place where we just, it's like the new toy. Christmas time. Little Joey gets this new toy, and all of a sudden, this is awesome. It's great. He wants to play with it all the time. And all of a sudden, a week later, he's got this toy, and that one's kind of on the shelf. And you know, now I'm, now I'm concerned about this toy and doing doing things with this this toy, this hobby. And oh, oh wait, now so and so's got this one. I'm going to get this one now. Now, now my attention focuses on this one. Squirrel. Isn't it like us? Get distracted by the things that are around us in this world. I wonder if we need to just get back to loving God. I wonder if it's sometimes because we feel the ridicule or maybe the persecution of those around us. In Matthew chapter 5, see a verse that maybe is a reminder for some of us. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, it says this. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says, don't think it a surprise if people don't especially appreciate what you stand for. They have the reward. Yours is in heaven. And if we're not careful, we will live for the, the applause of man rather than the applause of God. If we're ridiculed, so be it. But don't let it distract you from loving God. Or how about Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, just a page over. It says, No one can serve two masters. It says, Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Maybe our affection, maybe our devotion is split between one or more directions. 
I mean, I have this big circle of the pie, and God has this slice, and work has this slice, and you know, my friends have this slice, and could it be that the slice that God's in, and the slice that that God deserves is kind of set aside? We're too busy. We're focusing on the other slices. Split allegiance doesn't get us anywhere. You can't serve God and man. You can't serve God and the things of this world at the same time. You have to choose. You know, I think there's oftentimes another reason. Misconceptions of who God is. You know, I gave my life to Christ and, uh, you know, I, I, I thought God would, uh, you know, I, I, I just thought God was this, you know, wise man in the sky. I didn't, I didn't realize I had to fill in the blank to be a follower of Christ. Misconceptions of who God is. Maybe you trusted in God for the wrong reason. Maybe you have experienced false expectations. I thought that when I trusted God that he would take away my addictions, my bad habits, my whatever it is, and he hasn't done it. I thought things were going to get easier because I follow God. Maybe you have this idea of, I can't sense that God is real. I mean, I pray and I pray and I pray, and I don't see answered prayer, so therefore I just kind of, well, you know, I'm not really sure he's really there. I'm not sure he's really real. And so for that reason, you take your focus off of God and you lose your excitement. You lose your zeal. Maybe you just feel like, I don't follow God like I used to because I was misinformed. I didn't realize that I had to commit to reading his word. I mean, really? I didn't know that if I followed Christ, I was going to have to, you know, pray. I didn't, I, I didn't know I was going to have to, you know, tell others about my faith. I didn't know I was going to have to serve in some capacity. I mean, I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for that. You ever had that thought? But here's the question. Have you lost your excitement? Can you remember a time in your life that you were more excited about serving God than you are now? So we need to fix that. Because he's still the one that died on the cross for us. He's still the one that deserves our greatest devotion. He's still the one who deserves all of our love. We've lost it. We need to get back to serving him. Back to following him wholeheartedly. That's the first question. Are you still as excited today as you were when you got saved? And the second thing I want to ask you is this from the story. Why do you? Why do we? Why do I follow Jesus to begin with? What's our motive? Is it just an escape plan from hell? Hopefully not. It's more than that. Hopefully it's not just a well, I signed up and I got my card, some card-carrying Christian. Hopefully it's more than that. But why do you follow Jesus? Your friends are there? Can I just remind you that one day when you die, and we will all die, you won't stand before your friends. You'll stand before God. Because God's word reminds us, it is appointed unto man once to die, after this the judgment. Proverbs 27 says, 
Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for you know not what a day may bring forth. We don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. If, if, if we are following God for any other reason other than because of a heart of compassion, what Jesus Christ has done for us, we're missing it. Do we truly know him? Why are we following him? Can I give you a couple of reasons? Number one, do we love him because he first loved us? 1 John 4.19 reminds us that should be a good motivating factor. We love him because he first loved us. Isn't that awesome? He didn't say, clean up your life and then you can trust me. Isn't that a blessing? Who of us would be in? None of us. If you could just get a little more sins out of your life, then you can come to me. <laughs> We'd not, there'd be nobody in the family, folks, because you can't do it. We love him because he first loved us. Have we considered Romans 5, 8, in that while we were still sinners, what did Christ do? Died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do we remember John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he gave what? His one and only Son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Why do you follow Jesus? If it's for any selfish reason, it might as well be for no reason. I'm reminded that these people, some of them followed him because they heard what Jesus had done. They were in on seeing another miracle. We're just going to keep following them. I mean, it's like these uh, you know, roadies that follow their favorite band so they can get in on all the inside scoops and they're going to follow all the... I mean, there are people that follow bands all around the United States. Got some of those in my family that do that. Uh, I got better, far, far better things to do with my time. But there are people who follow just so they can see what's going on. Think Jesus had a few of those? He absolutely did. They heard what was happening. Some of them saw Jesus do miracles, and if I just keep following, we might see some more. This is cool. I want to see Jesus heal somebody. Man, this guy couldn't hear, now he's hearing. This guy couldn't walk, and now he's jumping. Check this out, let's follow. We're going to see Jesus do something. They weren't there because Jesus meant anything. They just wanted to see another miracle. Then there are those that followed him because they had needs. And they believed Jesus could do something about their needs. Why do you follow Jesus? Why? Why show up at church? Why give an offering? Why help out with the ministry of the church? Why? Some things we need to remind, remind ourselves that the least we can do is serve him because he loved us so much. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable form of worship. He says, just worship me in, in light of what I've done for you. What did he do for us? He saved us. He went to the cross and died for us. And we love him because he first loved us. He paid a sin debt he didn't owe because we had a sin debt we couldn't pay. 
Twice this week I had opportunity to share my faith with somebody. Um, I shared a little bit in Sunday school this morning. I thought it was kind of interesting. To the one gal who was at a restaurant, I was just teasing her because the uh, side item was $1.79 extra. And I looked at her and I said, what? $1.79 for a teaspoon of garlic butter? I was totally teasing. Totally. She was laughing. My wife was laughing. She goes, listen, buddy, that's a slice of he- that's just a little bit of heaven on earth. I said, really? I said, that little bit of garlic butter is heaven on earth? I said, listen, I'll give it to you. It's good, but it's not heaven on earth. And I was just teasing her. She was laughing. And, you know, the next thing I know, I said, you know what? So, so if this is heaven on earth, I said, tell me what else you know about heaven. What do you know about heaven? She goes, I know I'm probably not going there. I said, really? I said, why would you say that? She goes, well, I just know I probably wouldn't go there. So I said, okay. I said, are you... I said, how sure are you? She goes, 30% sure I'm going to hell. I looked at her and I said, are you okay with that? She goes, well, I don't think I have a choice in the matter. I said, I think you do. I said, I think there's some things that you can think about in that fact. And we talked to her just for a minute and I said, listen, I know you got work to do, but I said, I just want to put a bug in your ear. 30% sure you're going to hell? I said, God's word says... These things have I written unto you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, we live in a world that doesn't know. It's not the reason we jump bait, jump, jump in and just say, well, you know, it's your ticket from hell to heaven. There's more to it than that. But why do you follow him? Why do you serve him? What has God done in your life? This morning, I just want to close by doing two things. Number one, just ask a simple question. Are you a child of God? You've heard me say that a hundred times over the last seven years. You can't give away what you haven't got. I can't give you a million dollars because I don't have a million dollars. In fact, I can't even give you a half million because I don't have a half million. You get the principle. You can't give what you haven't got but you can give away what you've got. The woman at the well, she didn't go to Bible college first. She didn't go through some training, just go through this seminar, attend this conference, and then I'm ready, able, and willing. She simply told others what happened to her. That's it. Does it get any more simple than that, folks? Simply telling others what Jesus Christ has done for you. Are you still excited about that? That Jesus has done for you? Are you still excited about that? Why do you hide it? We need to give it away. Second thing I want to ask this morning is this. Do we need to take another opportunity and just recommit our lives to the Lord? Recommit. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask Paul to come to the organ. And this is what I'd like to do this morning. Maybe God has impressed upon your heart. Yeah, there's been a time when I was closer than I am now. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's your reality. So God's challenged me. I need to draw closer. I need to take another step in my obedience. I need to 
just get back to walking with the Lord like I used to. If that's your case, I just want us, as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, as I'm going to pray, I'm just going to lead, and then I'd like for us just as a congregation, if God has challenged your heart that way, I would like for you guys to pray as families. If he's not challenged your heart, if he's not impressed upon your heart, you are free to leave. You're free to slip out. But maybe God has challenged your heart. I need to be more concerned. I need to be more faithful. I need to draw closer to God. I need to spend more time reading his word. I need to pray. I need to tell others what Jesus Christ has done for me. I need to get back to where I once was. If that's your case, take a moment and pray. And then, this, then you can be dismissed whenever you're done. If you need the Lord Jesus Christ in your life this morning, I'm going to be here. I love nothing more than to show you from God's word how you can know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Can I challenge you, though, as you leave? There's a sign-up out on the bulletin board if you want to get involved in the outreach Halloween night. Be there. Pray. Be a picture of Jesus Christ to the lost world around us. Maybe this morning we just need to recommit as a family, as an individual, as a church. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and as we do, you pray, and when you're through, you can be dismissed. Let's pray together.